yeah, Spence. I'm so stoked to be back here once again on our Ventura Forward podcast, where we're searching for those tasty waves, hot tunes, fun in the sun, righteous food, and all the news across the 805. On this show, we're breaking down those segments from our unique journalistic points of view as we're going throughout Ventura County. The holidays are over. We made it through New Year 2024. Spence, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, but a bit of a lull after the big peak of everything because the way Thanksgiving goes into Christmas, goes into New Year's, now it's time to get stuff going, have some fun, explore more of Ventura and the people of Ventura. We're going to get back to that, Spencer. Holy mackerel, Spence. We couldn't take a break because those waves were so big, right? We had a storyline between Christmas and New Year's. The news stayed hot. We made global news. If there's a team in Ventura County, if there's two gentlemen that are working harder than us, I challenge them to come forward because it's not possible. In the last five, seven years, led by you every morning, Spence, you're bringing world news. Ventura County is a place that people want to talk about. And I joked about that as France was posting one of our big, massive waves. If a big little wave would have hit France, would we have been reporting about it? No. 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 And that's why our dedication to the 805 and sharing the stoke, bringing Ventura forward is worthwhile. I want to thank you in the New Year's Spence because four or five years ago you saw my passion and we're like, is Ventura enough? And I kept looking at you. I said, Ventura's enough. What you do is enough. And I think we're proving it with all these new followers and our new messages. So many stories come out of Ventura and so many things that need to be done. Yeah. In 2024, we're going to go at them. Yep. And with that, we're also going to be going forward with our podcast and go back to a little bit of our style. I think a lot of our followers will remember when we used to have our podcast based around interviews and we'd said interviews were about let's finding out what the motivation is and then ultimately what's the agenda how why do you feel so passionate about something and sharing your stoke and how you're going to get things done and i've met a young man over the last few weeks with me personally, we'll find out today how long he's been following Ventura Ford on the Instagram because a lot of times I don't know the length there, how long they've been listening to Tom on the radio. You never know, Tom, when they're going to call you asking for a helmet, right? <laughs> you never know. Out of the blue. <laughs> and that's what we're doing today. And we're going to be doing more of our interviews and more of our stuff and finding out why this gentleman, formerly from Los Angeles, lived up in Central California has been open with this testimony about having a rough upbringing, and we bonded on that. Now graduating from Ventura High School and working for Project Turning Point. Turning Point yes, is where it's at. With no further ado, let him introduce himself even more. Lucas Brown, how you doing? I'm doing great this morning. Thank you guys for having me here. It's a totally new experience for me, so uh, a bit nervous, but I'm not really. So I'm excited to be here, though. It's honestly a blessing. You know, it's really amazing that I even get to be here talking to you guys and, you know, whoever else is going to be listening. You know, it's really, really awesome, to say the least. So, uh, But I'm feeling good this morning. Um, yeah, my name's Luke. My name's uh, Lucas. I, I prefer Luke. I, I'll get you in there. Hey, go ahead, go ahead. Luke, I like that, his boldness. See that Spence ready to take the mic. <laughs> and everybody wants to say, well, Spencer, what's going on? Why are you bringing in Lucas? What's been happening? First of all, it's a shout out to the Instagram following and the people's willingness to reach out to our platform and share information and their story. That's what's so happy and, and thankful to me. So if you're following for a week or two or whatnot, you're into it. And Luke, we reached out because just last week I was cleaning things on Victoria here part of what I've been calling criminal highway for a long time. And what struck the chord was saying, hey, 
I've slept behind the 99 cent store many times. I have an opinion. And I want you to know nobody's been that bold to come out to me and say, I was homeless. I'm normal. Here's my opinion. Normal meaning that I'm back on my feet. I understand. Back to what's going on. And I go, is this guy kind of real? Or am I kind of being kind of hoaxed here a little bit? I looked at your Instagram. You seem cool. And we instantly said, let's go to breakfast. Let's go to Pete's. Let's go to breakfast. Let's break bread. Let's learn. Boom. And I found out that not only have you been homeless before in Ventura in the last three or four years, even slept at Community Park. Good old Kimball. Yes, sir. Kimball Park. Right? I call it Community Kimball Park. That's part of a joke we always run into here um, is the naming of this, that certain park. And I was like, this is a really real story on Ground Zero for Ventura. If you're going to share this story, let's rock and roll. And so for 10 days, you've said yes. I brought you in. You're here to share some of that story and your passion. So I think we can move the ball forward because in your current day job, you're working at one of the also crossroads of Ventura, which would be Thompson and California Street. So when you get off on California Street, everybody, you make that suicide left or right, right? When people are coming from the beach, they don't know what's going on. And you go right and you want to go right on Thompson. There's the tire store right there. And then the next building is a shelter created by a nonprofit called Turning Point. It's been there for a long time. People don't think it's doing good. What's the situation and the outcome there? So you can testify also for the current situation, possibly at Turning Point and your experiences working there. I would love to. Yeah, actually, uh, it's funny we talk about that because I texted you last night about my conversation with my supervisor. And I won't go into a lot of the details, but it really enlightened me to more of the details that go on in the bigger picture when it comes to the organizations that uh, run these nonprofits all throughout Ventura because it's become uh, it's much different than it used to be, he tells me, and not for the better. It's for the detriment, not of just the people who need those services, but of the people who are trying to provide the services as well. Um, and that's a, it, was, it was definitely an interesting conversation because it further kind of reinforced our discussions about Jared's place, which um, it's definitely been something that's been quite on my mind every single day. So, cause the more I think about it, the more I just want to be able to lay it all down, you know, the whole groundwork and just figuring it all out. Cause it seems like the most viable solution in a, in when we've been having decades of solutions that are more so like band-aids, they're just patches on a bigger issue. When we're trying to serve a, a gaping wound and we're just throwing band-aids all over it and we're doing the best we can, people like myself, people like my supervisor, everybody that I've met at Turning Point, everybody that I worked with at my previous uh, um, recovery as well, they all do the most they absolutely can. But when you're hands are tied with limited resources, with a lot of bureaucracy. I'm not even, that's what I'm getting more educated on as I get Uh more into it is the the politics and the bureaucracy behind it because a lot of that is what stops the the viable solutions from taking place. Um, Yep, and it's ever-changing as your supervisor was talking. Expectations, resources. We've talked about Gavin or Newsom and the state team has now proposed a new something called Prop 1 Spence, I believe $6.3 billion dollars for homeless services sounds like another housing first model i don't know the actual parameters but this goes on the same month that when we know the state also had sounded like a lot of resources coming out for homeless services and on the radio station we heard that matt living in the county wasn't ready to receive those funds to have more hospitals more beds longer stays so it's a dynamic story about how times are changing right now. And I think when you hear a number that big, you say, well, problem's going to be solved. Yep. And should I, should I vote yes or no? When the, yeah. And then when the money's distributed, it's like, where did the money go? 
Why isn't there one person off the street? Why don't I have one success story? Why don't I have any visual where people are in better health and happier and warm and comfortable? Uh, they have their numbers, so that's why a lot of that's what I learned yesterday. And that's uh, I don't know all the details or how deep it goes, but uh, they they have their ways of skewing their numbers. I've come to learn so, and that's uh, that has a lot to do with making sure that they still can get their funding and sure. making it seem like people are getting the help they need, but really it's just a revolving door. And that's what it comes down to, a revolving door. And People that are on paper seem like they're getting shelter, they're getting housing, but then if they're not really getting that supported assistance while they're in that housing, then they just end up going right back out because of multiple complaints, whatever it may be. And One of the issues, and interrupting rudely there, no worries. exactly right with prison. What will happen in prison is, let's say somebody actually, for once, has to do time. So they do 90 days. By where they are, they get off alcohol, they get off drugs, and they're sober, air quotes, but they're not trained. Exactly. They're not psychologically removed from their addiction. They're not retrained. So they get out there and they're like, well, I'm sober again, but and hey, he, guess and what? He, and not only at the prisons, but also at the shelters, at a lot of places, mm -hmm. because we're lacking the resources. And not just that, but there's only so much that we can do. For example, at my place, it's very non-restrictive. We, we, it's more so we bring them in and we do a screening process. I don't know the details behind it, but I know that we try to find individuals that we can bring in that seem like they'll have a high success of committing themselves to the process of change, because that's what it is. It's a process of change that is not, you can have a lot of help, but they're also gonna need to commit to it, you know, which we talk about a lot, you know, the personal responsibility. But, you know, also talking about 90 days, which my supervisor mentioned about, and this is, I, I want to look more into it because he said it's a fact that they've proven it already through research that 90 days is not enough time. It's not enough time for the severely, those suffering with severe substance abuse or mental illness, it's not enough time. Even if you were to have them in a nice, high-level intensive care, six, six months to a year is the new recommended amount. And they're not, they're not passing that. I'm, I'm not too sure why, but they're saying that 90 days is what they're going to settle with for now. We can see where Luke's passion's at here in podcast Ventura for number 79. We can definitely see the knowledge and the experience that's bringing in as a 27-year-old man getting after that and wanting to contribute back to that. And I want to say thanks for coming in again, Luke, for sharing your story. My, my pleasure. And let's get back to a little bit of the origin, you know, because we got to know that where you came from, why you care so much. Give me a little bit more of uh, what year were you born, where were you born, and what was kind of going on? I was born in 1996, and my birth certificate says Torrance. Uh, I don't remember a lot about my early childhood, but so what I remember is that I have pictures I'd like to show you sometime. My mother and my father, because I did have a stepdad who took care of me a lot of my time, and I'll go on to that. Uh, so my father, Gabby Brown, a lot of people who have grew up in Ventura. I just met a gentleman last night, a homeless guy who actually knew my father. It's funny how small that world is. Uh, he grew up out here. And uh, when I was born, from what everybody told me, they were clean. They were both happy. And the pictures of them, they both look beautiful. You ever see those pictures of your parents? For me, I never had that connection. So when I look at that, it makes me happy in the sense that I knew that at some point in their life, both my parents were clean. They were happy. They may have had their problems, but they looked happy, you know. And I never really got to see that growing up. What was your mom's name? Michelle, Michelle. She's still alive. She's out in Skid Row somewhere in a shelter somewhere out there. We talk from time to time. It's uh, difficult, but we, we talk, and I wish I, could, uh, I wish I would reach out to her more, but it's hard because I know that she's, she's had her. That's another story. That's a whole story. She, so so yeah. Gabriel, and 
Michelle. Yeah, Gabby, Gabby, and Michelle. Though they're my mother and my father. And Torrance, and yeah. what was happening in your early childhood? What was your what was your favorite toy you had? What was growing up? What toys were you playing? Um, so my this is gonna sound insane. So my most vivid memory. I don't really have a lot of memories from that time. I'm not too sure why, but my most vivid is when we had an apartment in San Pedro with my mother and my father, and. I think it was around Christmas time because I remember I had a train track and I had a friend who I would like to play the train track with. But the most vivid part is I remember around Christmas time, his apartment burned down. And we used to have these little toys. I don't know if they were Power Rangers, what they were, little like bendable toys that you were, and they were awesome. And I remember walking with him through the burned out apartment, like afterwards, and we found two or three of the figures. And uh, I don't really remember like what happened. I just I vividly stands out to me always as like my most, one of my youngest memories. And, and you, uh, you mentioned there that your parents having happiness. Did the happiness for your parents not last very long? I'd say around till I was three or four, because from what I know is that, uh, well, actually I learned this recently this year from asking people and learning stories. Uh, everybody, because there's a lot of bias in my family on my mother's and my father's side over who dragged who down. And uh, the story goes is that my mom, during her 21st, uh, you know, she wanted, they were both recovering. They were both in AA. They had both been mess addicts and alcoholics, but they were both clean for a while. But my mother wanted to go to Las Vegas, and my father didn't want to go along with her. She talked him into it. They went along. They get back from Vegas, and it's all downhill from there. And uh, around that time is when my younger brother, Cody, is born. And uh, that's about the same time that my father, I, he goes to prison for something, but he went to prison for a while, and that's when my stepdad got into the picture. And from there, it was uh, a lot of foster care, a lot of foster care after that point. So from age like six, six onwards, it was a lot of foster care for me and my brother. So we were all around, all around SoCal. Uh, and were you as a child knowing that you were in the foster care system? Yeah, I was the oldest. So around like around eight or nine is when I really started realizing that I was in foster care because uh, I think I was nine, maybe maybe nine, maybe eight. I uh, I told you about this. I got placed into a, a foster foster home by myself for a while. Was uh, uh, you know, all uh, African American family, and uh, I, I grew up with. I grew up in those communities, and for me, it was second nature. But it felt so strange because at the time, I didn't realize where I was. And I remember for the first two weeks, I would throw up almost every single night, and they would get pissed at me. They would, they, they, they like they didn't treat me with like yeah. love or like patience. They where were, were like, you? What city were you living in? I was in Lancaster. So I spent a lot of my between in uh, my foster care time. I spent a lot of it between mostly in Lancaster. Lancaster of, and Torrance aren't very close. No, no, not so at all. So they would still send you a long ways away from well, where your home area was. Like I wasn't. I don't know if I really grew up out in uh, Torrance. I think after I was born, like they took me out to like the San Pedro area. I know that, but I don't know what happened after my father and. My my mother split okay. up because then my mother I think she went out to like the Orange County area Lancaster like LA County Orange County because mm -hmm. um, I know I got first taken away in Orange County and then um, I was in a foster care I don't even really remember that first foster home and then uh, that's when we went over to Lancaster for sure can't really remember why we were moving thanks for Sarah what was going on no of course and when did you make it to Ventura for your first time? Because you're in Lancaster, you're a teenager there, you were kind of wondering what's going on. I was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, Give me some idea what trouble was back then. Well, the story that got me out of there is I just got out of juvie after a weekend because I got bullied a lot and I beat the, f I, excuse my language, I beat, I beat the fuck out of a kid. I beat him bad because I, they were pushing me around and I, I went red. I barely remember it. Yeah. And the thing that got me sent to juvie for the weekend is because when he was down on the floor, I, I just remember I was cussing. I was screaming, saying, like, not even, like, anything that had anything related to the fight. I was saying my parents hate, like, screaming. Right. I was screaming, yeah. like, my parents hate me. I fucking hate my life. Like, all... All sorts of just crazy stuff. Tom, you ever been there? Uh, I haven't, but Ralphie was in A Christmas Story. <laughs> Remember when you lose it, 
you lose it. Yeah. And I, I've had, not in a fight, but I have totally lost my mind where I, you black out. Yeah, I've and it's yeah. scary. It's, a temp- it's weird. Uh, it's a temper, and that's something that I have a lot of pride in because over the years, I've, I'm, uh, people say they're angry, you know, but I understand the depth of how deep anger can go. It can go very, oh, yeah. very deep to the point where it's no longer just angry at the world. You're just, you're just hateful at everything. And at such a young age, I was 14 when I was like that, just explosive. Uh, before that, I had another moment where I got bullied and I was weak. I was smaller then, and so I feel like I couldn't fight back. So I tried to I tried to hang myself from uh, in the middle of in the middle of the school in the middle of the schoolyard in the middle of lunch. I tried to I tried to grab my sweater, wrap it around the soccer post, and just squeeze. But I was st- I knew it wouldn't work. So when I fell down, I just wrapped it around my neck. It took like three. I was like twelve at the time. It just took like three or four people to get them off of me because I was so hateful. I hated my life. I hated everything. I hated mm-hmm. myself, and I didn't I wasn't I didn't have guidance. So I didn't know how to figure that out, you know? And um, so when I got, when I was in Lancaster, yeah, I went to juvie, I got out for, I got out for the weekend, went right back to hanging with the same homie that I always was, you know, smoking weed, drinking, doing stupid shit. And uh, I told a story to uh, my supervisor last night, actually. I, we went to go rob a car one night drinking and uh, the people came out and they had a gun and they, you know, all of us scatter, fucking, we scatter, we start running, we end up back at the projects and when we get there, there's a big group of people and they all seem to know everything about it and uh, somehow the blame gets cast on me. I run off, I'm hopping walls, making sure they can't follow me. I stay, stay low for a little bit at this girl's house I knew. Then I walk back to my house. I walk back to my house, car full of them, all the people that knew there, all of them. I don't know how they got there. They couldn't have followed me. There was no way they could have followed me. I was 15. And um, I was on probation at the time because I just got out, and they, it was right at my front door. They gave me a choice that they could beat the fuck out of me or I could call the cops. And I said, just beat the fuck out of me. And my grandpa and my younger brothers were all right there, and uh, I got the shit beat out of me right in my driveway because I, you know, gotta, you make mistakes and uh, got to pay consequences. I broke three ribs, broke my nose for the first time, fucked up my jaw a little bit. And uh, after that day, I never, after I recovered, I ghost, I never talked to any of my, my buddies out there again, none of my homies. I never, never hit them back up, never saw them again. I just left. Uh, once I recovered, I wrote a little note on my desk and I packed up my stuff and I went out my brother Cody's window. He was there that day. He remembers seeing me like he was young and like, what the hell is he doing, you know? And uh, dipped out, went and stayed low at this girl's house, called my grandma up down here. I'm like, grandma, I, I need to get out of here. I need to go. She's like, mijo. Cause she, she, she hates my parents. She, she doesn't like to say that word, but she hates my parents. Like she hates what they did to us. And there's a lot of beef. So as soon as I called her, she was like, I'll get you out of there. And that's how I've been here since 15, came out here summer. So it was her grandma and different compassional things because to get at such a turning point, you're seeing love in places. And I've talked about my past and I think everyone likes to maybe look at the mirror and say, why me? But I think there are the moments, like you said, your grandma there, like grandma was accepting. Grandma, that was the magic that our, because what we talk about in the Ventura Forward is, how did you get here? What makes you feel like you have this pride or this special feeling in Ventura and you had the gift of your family being here? And your dad grew up here, he had gone away, of course. But so Ventura in a sense was home without you knowing it was home and so you came home for the first time in your mind at the age of 15. That's how it always felt, honestly, when I got here. It was, uh, even though I came here, I came here a stranger in a strange land because I came here in the summer between school years. I didn't know anybody. I had no friends out here. I didn't know anybody. I was just a little hoodlum in a beach city not knowing anybody. And uh, 
But even then, it felt like home because I would walk to the pier. That's when I really started to like by myself during that summer. I started going down to the jungle because I didn't know what it was. I went down there, and I don't know. I use the reference. You ever, you ever read uh, Stephen King's book It? Oh the, sure. The Barrens. Yeah. That's what I think of the jungle. The jungle is the Barrens for me, and it all oh, it has a special place in my heart because that's how it feels to me. I go down there, and I don't feel scared. I don't look at the the the, the trash as something. I look at it as a, like a it's a magical place for me. For I don't know because it's a it's almost like when I was younger when I first came here that sense of like wandering through it not knowing where I was it just felt liberating when all I had known for so long was just going with my homies smoking weed fucking myself up getting into fights and now all I did for almost like a month and a half was just listen to music and just wander along because I had nothing else to do my grandma said it's okay mijo you can go out get to know the city and she'd give me you know a little bit of money here and there sometimes I would try to fucking because I was still a hoodlum I'd be like hey bro can you give me some cigarettes or something but um, like, yeah, it was liber- It was such a different experience. And I wish I could go back to that, that, that first time I was here because it was, that's when I really fell in love. And that's when ever since that time, I've been through a lot since I've been here, you know, and, uh, but that time has always made me, and that's why I never want to leave. Because for me, it's, um, this whole place is magical. The whole city is, in, in a sense, it is for me. The people have always shown me love. The people look out for each other. So. You can hear it now, Spence, sharing the stoke, frothing for the community that was here for us, for all of us, and continues to be. One of the things we forget, because I had a, a relatively nice upbringing, is the fact that one person who's been through, like I, I was sort of poor. And so when you see something loving, it's one step. But then I was sort of homeless, and then I was sort of beat up. So as you go up and see your realization of calm is I might go to that same place and go, what the hell is this? Because I was raised in Thousand Oaks. But you go from this horrid, as you described, suicidal situation. Then you come here and you go, it's kind of chill. So for you, that was everything. And that's why we do have to be a little more thankful because I'll go around pissing and mad and angry at this. And I, uh, you know, my life's actually pretty damn good. You know, I, yeah. I want to improve it, but I should stop complaining. So you're, uh, what I visualize seeing somebody coming out of the hell you were in to this, it's, it's awakening for me. Yes, and I want to hit what, right what Luke said too, is that even though the moment you described you wish you could go back to how you felt then, Know that that's just you, I believe, as an individual and me in the 80s with Norn's Market and Spence with T.O. And that other kids and other generations, other people are coming here from all over the world saying, look at this magical gem. And when we wrote, when we walked yesterday at Hobo Jungle, at one point, I don't even know, you were running down into the jungle to see certain stuff. And the emotion was so real because it's such a beautiful, magical place. And we want to share it with more people. We want to preserve it correctly. And we want to not be on, on the world news, I think, for having a big wave crash in front of our beach, which should have probably happened if we had the right preparedness and all the home damage and the hotel damage and the insurance cost, all the different variables that get included in that probably shouldn't have been there. But it's telling this in-depth story that Luke is providing, Spence, that I thought that you would enjoy. I know our listeners and our communities learning about to how it's so tangible because we're going to get into the success story too of how that rage turned into this ultimate compassion it feels like and i'm sure you still make mistakes so when i hear to say that you're perfect or i'm no. definitely not perfect or mr calm cool and collective as i'm calling myself now spend still definitely rages at times because the passion is so real and i know it's real in this room 
and I'm right there. What do you think, Spence? When I walk into Hobo Jungle, because I, I used to run a lot, and I'd run by there, my head's on a swivel thinking I should call the cops, and your head's on the swivel because it's a place that brings back great memories. Isn't it odd how two people who have lived here, I've been here since 61 in the greater Ventura County area, so it is funny, the eyes of a different person. So I'm down there singing, oh, my, yeah, exactly, perspective is it. It's just like, let's get some cops in here. And you're in there saying, this is so chill. It should be. I do, because I, I agree with you, because exactly, and that's also a point why I do believe it should be, you know, there shouldn't have to be where there's massive homeless encampments, you know, and that's a lot why... That's another. That just goes into the talk about finding a viable solution for homelessness, which is what me and him, me and Spencer, talk about with Jared's place. Which I'm fucking obsessed with the idea because I've spent a long time in my reclusive years when I wasn't really being active in this thinking about. Because a lot of people you see on social media all around having their opinions, their thoughts on homelessness, on mental illness, on substance abuse. Everybody does. But very, very few have any viable long-term solutions. Not, not solutions as to how do we get them out of sight, and not, but solutions as to how do we fix broken people, because that's what they are. They're broken people. Yep, and that's one of the great things, because I've dealt with some thugs in my life, and the thing, I'll just reason with them. And a guy came up to me and said, no, you won't. You're, you're from a different world, and if you go in there and try to reason, air quotes, with them, they'll look at you like you're just out of your mind. Because it requires that air of, like, genuineness. That that's, that's what we talk about with staffing in these places. Like, when you're talking about, like, at my turning point, I don't think you could ever really make it long term at a, at a job like this unless you're genuine and you're compassionate. And you're not only that, but you have a love for what you do for helping other people because it's hard work. Because you're going to face, you're going to give to people who are ungrateful. But you have to recognize that we do this because doing good isn't, we don't do it because we want reward from others. I don't do, I don't help anybody. I don't give them blankets or food because I don't want them to say thank you. If they never say thank you, it doesn't matter because I do it, I do good onto others for the sake of good. That's kind of what I believe in. And that's why when, even when I'm dealing with unreasonable individuals, I understand that if they were in their right state of mind, as I was telling Spencer yesterday, at some point, every single addict, every single person that we look at on the streets are losing their minds. You know, we, we've all seen it. We've all seen the different craziness that can go on from mental illness. When we look at them, I know in my heart that at some point in their life, they were clean. They may have been loved. They were, they were thinking clearly. Maybe they had their own issues, but they weren't the person that we see there. And how, do, instead of seeing, dang, we should just fucking give up on that person, I think to myself, how can I possibly ever help this person? And what can I do? Even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just showing him a little bit of dignity that he might not even recognize because he's so out of his mind. Because who knows, that might resound with him somewhere, somewhere deep down, because that's where they're, they're in such a dark place. That place mentally, that when we see those people, I hope that anybody who passes by them doesn't think to myself, you know, dang, I, I, they could just get out of that hole because I hope they never have to experience, like I told you, I hope they never have to experience that dark, dark place that the mind can go to. I hope that they never have to be in that place. I hope they never have to see a loved one that they care about deeply be in that place because it is not an easy place to go into. And you mix that up with drugs or anything and it just gets darker and deeper until it requires a whole community to drag a single person out of it. And bringing that community in Jared's place is described as Camarillo Hospitals 2.0 because everybody said 
and Camarillo Hospital is closed, and Reagan took away the funding, and went to Kaputz Ron, California, and possibly the whole nation. And I got tired of hearing that. I knew I was coming home with a mission from my brother, Jared Eugene Norn, who was bipolar, schizophrenic, diagnosed in the early 2000s. And we know that story from this podcast. And so when I'm meeting people like Luke that accept the plan, I don't have every detail worked out. It's an ever-flowing plan that professionals need advice. 100%. Another gentleman reached out to me, too. He wants to meet me for coffee, but he wants no videos, Spence. He wants no interviews, but he wants to tell me his point of view. I said, bring it on. I'm opening to myself to having people like Luke that want to talk, like professionals that want to talk, like Brandon with Nine Construction and Hauling who wants to put his resources together to start cleaning up these encampments. We've got Lorenzo offering services at the Garden Street where people want to stay if they want to stay. The cities get involved, the counties get involved, the states get involved, and I'm tired of people saying, oh, do we want it to be state and federal funding? We absolutely do because that will organize it more other than this willy-nilly free nonprofit world where nonprofit people meant to have good intentions. There's a lot of great nonprofits in the majority, but the society, the way that it works, the way that function is, there's not an umbrella that's organizing all of it. It's more like atoms floating around. It needs to sell something to captivate it all. That's what Ventura 4 can be. That's what Luke testimony, he knows he's just the size of an atom, just like me, just like Spence. But the more we come together, whether it's at city council meetings, on these videos, it's my responsibility now to take it farther and to make Jared's place a reality, which I see being 250 acres, 500 acres in a location in Camarillo, okay? Between Camarillo, Port Wyneming, and Oxnard, somewhere out there was agricultural land. If we can shut down agricultural land for an Amazon fulfillment center, we should be able to get the state approval to make some exceptions I love agricultural land the most, but this is the benefit we have to solve for a higher quality of life. Why Camarillo area? Because that's the exact middle of the county. We no longer need social services to be coming from Thousand Oaks all the way into Deep Ventura, Vista Del Mar, Hillmont Street. These are dead-end areas that homeless people and people with heavily mental awareness cannot get out of. My brother experienced all this. My family experienced all this. Thousands and thousands of families have experienced since that time, and hundreds if not thousands of families experience that same every day. Got to be solved. Jared's place. And when I know Luke can feel the vibe, and I know he can talk to his coworkers and other professionals about the vibe, Spence, I know we got something real harder and farther than ever. Let's go. Let's make it happen. How was that little rant? That was great. And I, I will, Are you agreeing with it? I agree with it, yes, 100%. Because, but as Woo! we wonder what is going to be the thing we do, it's just there has to be some level of of improvement as we talked 100%. at the very beginning. It's the old story of the guy walking down the beach and there's 5,000 starfish out on the sand. And he picks one up and he throws it in the water. He picks one up, throws it in the water. And somebody says, well, that's not helping much. And he says, those six are happy as long as there's something moving forward. And we don't see it that's here. A good, that's a very good point, Spence, because that's what my supervisor mentioned yesterday. The whole process that we have even set up where we get them off the streets, we get them into a night, we get them drop-in services, right, where they're able to come in, show that they're committed. Then we get them into 90 days, maybe, you know, or, or a bed somewhere. They show that they're committed to that. Then we get them into supported assisted living. They show that they're committed to that. They start to save up money. That's the process used to be after that. They would help them out, support them. They would get them, you know, they would make sure that they're on top of them and getting, you know, that these people aren't just staying in these supported apartments for an extended period of time and that the process is moving. That way, people in the 90-day beds, you know, you see how it's like a ladder, it's a stepping mm -hmm. stone. But the process stopped 
because I don't know what happened. My, I, I want to talk more about it and get more educated. Yeah, we, we're wrapping it up, but that, it's a good process to say that, that the process stopped. And so now, it's, and now we got to like figure a, something yeah, new. Exactly. You have this. You have this. No, there's no flow going on. People are just coming. It's a revolving door. They're coming and going, and the people. Who, it's just it's just perpetual, and it's integrated into society at the wrong points in the wrong location, along Thompson, along the hotels, certain areas. It wasn't supposed to be in the downtown area, the historical building, turning an old Victorian beautiful home into a sober living house. It's not right in my mind. It's not setting people up for success because drugs are around the corner. That's you got to put drugs farther away from people. Temptation and opportunity. It's got to be farther away from people. I'll get into that and no. That we're gonna give Luke the mic one more time to wrap up some closing thoughts here. The conversation's not ending here, my guy. That's why you've been on the videos before. So whatever we say here, the podcast is coming back to all of our sponsors for the bands coming in here. Ray Fresco still binging it hot. We love you guys. If anyone hasn't seen Ray for Fre Ray Fresco's success climb the next two last two and a half three and a half years because of what they're doing in the community and because of the way we're supporting them, it's because of you guys. Keep them moving. Jaden Secor is getting after it. All these young people looking west. The Black Couch Studio is going off with Guy Martinmore. Guy was a, a, a interviewer on this podcast. Guys, we've got the real beat because you got the boys doing the hard work for you. And Tom Spence, Spencer Norn, Ventura Forward checking it in. We're going to create more opportunities for our sponsors like Goodwill. Goodwill's doing it. Bring the 805 at the jobs at the lowest level. So when Luke needs somewhere and he's talking to people at Pro Project Understanding and Turning Point, I say, I'm doing that because both my nonprofits, <laughs> we can go to Goodwill for low entry level. If they want an executive job, we can get that. You want it, We have a contract working with Goodwill. That's what people are doing that are awesome. Also, I protect locations at Collection and in the mall. Chico's bringing those cell phone repairs. If your port on the bottom isn't working completely, go in there and get that port cleaned out. And from all of our other sponsors coming through, I got too many even name anymore, Spencer's. Too much goodness flowing with Ventura Ford. I've been motivating you. I've been motivating Luke. Everyone's been watching. We're doing what we do best. Luke, give me a final thought. Final thoughts. Uh, you don't have to say something if you don't have anything. No, no, I got something. So just uh, really just I just want to anybody who's listening, you know, when you whenever you do see the people that, uh, you know, it's really quick to judge and look down upon others. Just uh, try to take a deep breath and a second thought and just uh, let go of that, you know, and just uh, even if you don't think you can help, just uh, the, the most you can do by helping, even if you can't do anything at all, is just letting go of that judgment and just letting that person who's already probably in one of the darkest places you can go as a human being, just letting them be where they are. And we'll, that's what you got me and people like me and Spencer and um, a lot of other individuals who are doing our best to help these people. And uh, the last thing they need is to be indignified. You know, they're still human beings. And I always think about that because I'm a, I'm a person where I don't look at you for your color. All I see is Spencer, a human. I look at Spence, a human being. I see my brothers. I see everybody on the streets, even strangers. I look at them and I feel love because they're humans, you know. And if they, if anybody, if even if it was a businessman in a nice suit, if I saw they were sitting on a corner and they looked like they were shit out of luck, I'd walk up to them and I'd be like, what can I do to help? No judgment. No judgment. Devoid of judgment. The, uh, the avoidment of judgment and your kindness and your rawness sharing with us in Ventura Forward has been awesome the last two weeks. I know you're motivating me. I know you're motivating others. You're motivating me. <laughs> and so let's just stay right there to know from your testimony, your compassion that you show is something from where you've gone and to where you can go, dude, is the example that we can replicate and we can make people successful. So episode 79, Luke Brown, 
It's a good time. We're bringing the story full circle again. Spence, you have a good time. Very good time. In- informative. You learn something every time. We get a guest in here, so it'll be great to get back into the cycle of bringing people in. So instead of us talking about it, we can hear about it. And I'm looking forward to more shows like this coming up in the new year. Who will the guest be next week? You're going to have to check in for episode number 80, your Ventura Ford podcast, Spotify. Do it on that little purple button on your iPhone. Share it on Instagram. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.